This is the Rundown. The rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Live from the Auction Community Studios for the next two hours. Luke Lipinski here with you. Cody Fincher behind the glass. Cody, I have it on good authority that somewhere in the valley right now in her car, Sarah Cazell is dancing to the open of this show. She promised she would be. That's not safe. That doesn't yeah. sound safe. I feel like she could pull this off. As long as she keeps two hands on the wheel. Look, if you're driving around the valley and you happen to be stopped at a red light right now and you look over and you see Sarah Cazell and she's not dancing, please Honk tweet into the her, show. Yes. So- yeah. Tweet into the show at Rundown987. Let us know so we can call her out uh, officially. But she claims she's out there dancing somewhere. All right. I have to take her word on that. Uh, we got lots to dance about on the show tonight, and we are going to begin with the Arizona Cardinals. Actually, we're not dancing about this. In fact, the first segment. No. <laughs> won't be dancing what much a in the first false segment. Tease. Yeah, let me just lie to you. But the next hour and 45 minutes after that are great. Major League Baseball playoffs are in full swing. Uh, we're going to talk a little D-backs, kind of put a wrap on their season. I know it ended a couple days ago, but we uh, we have some interesting comments from the general manager, Mike Hazen. And, of course, this is the GM's time to shine in the offseason. We're going to talk to Kellen Olson, friend of the show. I have to think he's the guest we've had on most, but we haven't had him on since, like, February. So the NBA Finals, of course, start tomorrow. We're going to get into that. Uh, we have lots to get to, but we're going to start with the Cardinals. And look, I understand the team is two and one. There's a lot to feel good about with this team. But since they are coming off a loss, it is natural to sort of look for areas that, that need to be fixed or areas that it's like, okay, maybe that could be a little bit better going forward. I mean, this team, and I think rightfully so, has raised our expectations where we want to see playoffs this season. And I don't think that's unrealistic. I don't think that's an unfair bar to clear look if they finish the season nine and seven and they miss the playoffs because their division is ridiculous well okay that, well we can look back on it and figure out if the season was a, dis- a disappointment or not at that point but right now two and one I don't care what division they're in I feel like with seven teams making the playoffs in each conference they should very much be in play and they are but you know with the with the expectations come extra scrutiny And for me, it starts with the offense in regards to the passing game. So DeAndre Hopkins leads the NFL in yards. Probably not surprising. 356 through three games. That's going to lead the NFL. Uh, Calvin Ridley is close of Atlanta. Nobody else has more than 300. DeAndre Hopkins leads the NFL in receptions with 32 through three games. The closest player is Alvin Kamara, the running back in uh, New Orleans with 27. That's just because they don't have any receivers to throw the ball down the field to. Uh, Amari Cooper is third. Or a quarterback who can throw down the field. <laughs> That's just setting you up to, to take a shot. I, I don't even Brees. hate Drew Brees. I don't know why I feel this Sounds way. Sounds like you hate Drew Brees. It does, and I apologize to Drew Brees. Uh, you, I don't, don't hate apologize. Drew Brees. You're going to have something else to say about him, I'm sure, later on in the show. You don't want to go back and forth. Uh, so look, great numbers for DeAndre Hopkins and Cody, you and I talked about this last night. We were trying to figure out who's going to be the second option on this team. And I believe we both said Fitz, right? When we did uh, fill in the blank, who's going to, who's going to lead the Cardinals in receiving yards behind DeAndre Hopkins. Cause he's already so far ahead <laughs> that it's almost, uh, it's, it's pointless to say who's going to lead the team in receiving yards. Cause it's going to be DeAndre Hopkins. But as a team, the Cardinals are just middle of the pack. When it comes to passing yards, just 
general, most passing stats, the Cardinals are just middle of the pack. Kyler Murray's quarterback rating, which I still have to this day, I'm not sure I could give you the mathematical formula to what exactly it is, but I know that his is just average. It's it's slightly below middle of the pack, actually. So I see that. I see that combination of stats right there, and what stands out to me is, well, DeAndre Hopkins is doing his job. Uh, Kyler Murray, passer rating-wise, I mean, the five interceptions don't help. Three of them came last week, though. I mean, they still count. But I don't see that as an indictment on Kyler Murray. I think he'll be just fine. We were talking about him as an MVP candidate like four days ago, so I'm I'm not going to swing that quickly because of one bad game. But I think where the real story lies is who is going to be your second option. And, again, we did this last night just in fill of the blank. We both said Larry Fitzgerald. He's off to his worst three-game start to a season of his career. 84 yards through three games. I mean, 84 yards through three games is... I mean, that's that's very unfits-like. But I don't, I don't think that's an indictment on Larry Fitzgerald either. So what's the issue here? Is it just simply... Hopkins is open on every play, and that's who they're throwing to? Okay, I mean, if it's that, then fine. Normally, I would say that's not sustainable, but DeAndre Hopkins might be able to get open as as often as he already has for the rest of the season. Is it... Is I don't want to say poor play calling, but is it play calling that's not getting Fitz involved enough? Is it is it on Fitz? I mean, I don't think it is. He's not going to get separation the way a guy like Andy Isabella is going to get if he just sprints down the field or whatever, but it's Larry Fitzgerald. I'm pretty sure if you throw him the ball, he'll make the catch more often than not. Even even with the, the poor yardage-wise, uh, the, the poor statistics, he's still caught 12 of the 15 passes thrown at him. So, I don't know. I, I have to think it's just the offense is still a work in progress as as much as we all wanted to just anoint this offense to be one of the most exciting in the NFL already. I think it'll get there, and I don't think we're far off. It already is exciting, but I should say most uh, explosive offenses in the NFL. It's not going to touch the Chiefs. But there's there's a spot in that tier below the Chiefs, and I think the Cardinals will get there by the end of this season. But it can't just be DeAndre Hopkins making catches. We talked about Kenyon Drake last night. I mean, he's having an okay season. He's eighth in the NFL in rushing right now. It doesn't feel like it, but your entire offense cannot run just through Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. Even if it's like, and then it's the third guy steps up each week. Like last week it was Andy Isabella, and the week before it was so like, nah, I don't know if that's going to work. You're going to, when the schedule gets tougher, you're going to need more than just DeAndre Hopkins for Kyler Murray to throw to. DJ Humphreys today was asked about why the offense isn't clicking yet, and he would know. This is what he had to say. The reps that we got in the preseason and the offseason that we would have gotten, you know, it's hard to replicate that during any type of system that's not here here at the facilities in Tempe. Um, but I think it's just a matter of us staying the course and continue to come to work every week and trying to get better and better. And uh, even even once it is clicking, it's work to continue it to continue to to click week in and week out of every day and every practice. So I think it's just about finding the the right niche for us and to continue to click in and then work on it every week. Yeah, I know you can listen to that and if you're a pessimist you can say okay, well that's, you know, that's just it's an excuse. And look, DJ Humphreys doesn't make excuses. He's he's never been an excuse guy. Uh, you know, I understand his reputation his first year in the league was a little you know, he's, he's got to mature and, and grow into the role of being a first uh, round pick. He certainly has. He's a no excuses kind of guy. But, you know, you can listen to that and you can say okay, well yeah, you know everybody could say that. Well, everybody could. 
But not every team is built around their offense doing as many different things with as many moving parts as the Cardinals is. Now, I talked a lot in the offseason about how great it is for this team to have the continuity from one year to the next with a head coach, finally, who also is running your offense, and from one year to the next with your quarterback, especially this year when teams didn't have a normal offseason. And I stand by all that. But you do have to go a little bit deeper and say this is still only games 17, 18, 19 in the NFL for Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. So that offseason certainly would have helped. And I guess what I'm saying is, you know, a team like the Cardinals offensively might still look a little out of sorts three weeks into the season, and it'll be a lot more noticeable than a team like the Bears, let's say. You know, the Bears are probably going to win their games with defense. Or they're just going to win their games by coming back in the fourth quarter every week, whatever. But it's very clear how the Cardinals are built to win games. They still need help from the defense, obviously, but they're built around an explosive offense that hasn't quite gotten there yet. And last week really highlighted they don't have a a steady second option established yet in this offense. We assume it's going to be Fitz because we know he can do it. I don't really care if it's Fitz or Kirk or Isabella or Drake or Chase Edmonds or Eno Benjamin or Dan Arnold. But they're going to need somebody because DeAndre Hopkins won't be able to beat teams by himself. Well, we are on the eve of the NBA Finals, and they've had the bubble work pretty well there. The NHL playoffs wrapped up last night. No positive cases of, uh, of COVID through the entire thing. Stanley Cup is done. It's awarded. And Major League Baseball, as much as they had to navigate some cases early in the season, they did that. They are in the playoffs today, and they're not even playing in a bubble. Now the NFL has its first test because the Tennessee Titans have nine members of the team at this point have tested positive. They have shut down their practice facility until Saturday at the earliest. The Titans play Pittsburgh this weekend. Uh, there's a lot of talk out there that the NFL intends to still have the game this weekend, whether that be Sunday or Monday. It's going to be a scheduling nightmare if they can't, but you obviously can't just force it through. Uh, this is Diana Rossini talking about how we maybe shouldn't expect that game happening this weekend. I do not expect Tennessee to play this game. I don't know how they're wow. going to be able to do this. They've been put out of the facility. They, they cannot go to the facility. This is players and coaches starting right now. It's been shut down. Uh, a league source had told me they were shutting them down until Saturday. I and mean, just talking with players and coaches that, that work for the team or with the team, there, there's a strong belief this isn't going to happen. Most just saying, how? How are we going to be able to play this game? I'm in touch with the Steelers as well. They're obviously watching closely here as they're supposed to travel to Nashville. And this was supposed to be the first game at Nissan Stadium in Tennessee where there was going to be fans. So there is another element to all of this. And obviously Minnesota is also concerned. They've been shut down today because Tennessee played the Vikings in Minnesota last week. And I talked to someone with Minnesota before, and he said, I wonder if they got it here. I wonder if we have more people. I wonder if we're, we're, we're the catalyst of it. We started it. Yeah, This is where it's going to get complicated. And don't get me wrong, I love having football back. Just talking to somebody yesterday, things don't feel fully back to normal, but they feel a lot more normal when we have football every Sunday and Monday and whatever kind of Thursday night football matchups they're running out there. Broncos, Jets this week, by the way. But uh, it just, things feel a lot better. And you've got the other sports going on until hockey wrapped up last night. You know, things just, you can't 
you can't quantify the value of having sports on just our collective national psyche. But this is going to get complicated for the NFL because, again, the NBA and the NHL were in bubbles, so they didn't really have to deal with this once they got in there. Major League Baseball had the issue with the Marlins early in the season and the Cardinals early in the season. Both those teams not only were able to recover, play out their schedule, they're actually both in the playoffs. It's going to get difficult for the NFL potentially because you heard her just say right there, the Vikings are wondering if it's going to be an issue for them, and we won't necessarily know for certain that it isn't until the end of the week. The Titans, let's say everything goes just best case scenario now, and they are all cleared, or they have enough players that are cleared to play and cleared to be negative, so they're not going to you know, cause any problems for the Steelers, and they can play that game on Monday. How are the Titans supposed to win a game when they haven't practiced all week? Like, I understand best case scenario, okay, let's get the game in, okay. But at that point, is that not sort of impacting the competitive balance? And I know there's nothing you can do, but this is not, oh, okay. Like, I I think a lot of us just thought, oh, you know, a scenario like this means the Titans don't have their number two receiver because he tested positive and that's going to be a disadvantage. No, if, if they can't practice all week, they're probably not beating Pittsburgh. And the other thing is, At the start of the season, when the NFL released the schedule, they had set it up in such a way, if you recall, where it was like, if the virus is still an issue at the start of the season and we have to cancel the first three weeks, we can just stack them at the end of the season. Or if this team, you know, all the teams that were playing in week one, they had the same bye week and everything. So it was essentially built in such a way where if you had to wipe out the first week of the season, you could play it either at the end of the season or those teams would play each other in their individual bye weeks. But there wasn't really a contingency plan put into place, and I don't know that there could have been, if you get to the one where the situation we're in right now. Week three, one team might not be able to play in week four. The Titans have a bye week in week seven. Pittsburgh has a bye week in week eight. So if they can't play the game this week, I don't really know when they're going to be able to play it. It's one thing to just push the first, second, third, fourth weeks of the entire NFL season back and play them at the end of the season as was originally the contingency plan if you're doing it for the whole league. That's essentially just, okay, we delayed the start of the season. But you can't really have the Steelers and Titans play a Week 18 game when there's playoffs going on. I, I just, I'm not envious of whoever has to handle the NFL schedule if they can't get this game in this weekend, but they got to be smart about it because if you're not smart about it, then you run the risk of this really becoming a bigger issue in the, in the upcoming weeks. You right now only have one team that you know is affected and you're just hoping that that goes away by, uh, by Saturday, essentially. All right, when we come back, we're going to jump into baseball. I mentioned the playoffs have begun. The Diamondbacks are not in the playoffs, and they may be ready to make some changes this offseason. That is next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Keeping it live and local with Luke Lipinski on the Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. All right, let's switch gears here and talk a little baseball. Big day for Major League Baseball. As I mentioned, you know, they've, they've gotten through the regular season. I understand it was only 60 games instead of 162, but honestly, quite the accomplishment. If you go back to where we were, I don't know, June, 
when baseball couldn't even agree with itself on how to have a season. And then even at the start of the season, I think a lot of us were pretty optimistic. I remember watching that Nationals and Yankees game, the opener, and being like, oh, this is going to be great. And then Juan Soto couldn't play. And then like a couple days later, the Marlins couldn't play for like two weeks. There was also a big rain delay in the opening night game, too. Yeah. They ended up being like a shorter game, didn't it? I, I think so. I think part of it got rained out. Well, we're here now. We've got 16 teams in the playoffs. I, I would hate it if it was this way every year because it would completely marginalize the importance of the 162-game regular season. But I love it right now. I love the fact that we have 16 teams. Best of three in the first round means a team like the Dodgers could lose in the first round. They're not going to because the Brewers don't have any pitchers. But in theory, they could. Except the Arizona Diamondbacks aren't in the playoffs. And that's pretty egregious if you take a step back and look at it. This was a lineup that was built to challenge... I don't want to say challenge the Dodgers for first place in the division because in hindsight, that's ridiculous. I mean, the Dodgers went 43 and 17, but certainly was built to finish second in the division and pick up a wild card in a normal season where only 10 teams make the playoffs. Instead, 16 teams make the playoffs and the Diamondbacks weren't even close the final week of the season. I mean, they basically won out at the end of the season and and they still didn't finish close. So as you can imagine, a guy like Mike Hazen, who's not really used to failure, uh, is not real happy with the way this uh, season played out. He was asked today on a Zoom call how active he expects to be this offseason. I have no idea. I, I, it, you know, <laughs> I've sat here for the last three offseasons with whatever my perception of being active or inactive going into the offseason. I feel like all three offseasons have been incredibly active. I don't know in all three offseasons we had plans to go in being incredibly active. I think we've ended up being incredibly active. Uh, It's probably more personality trait uh, now at this point for me. So I would, I would, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to make a make a wager on where where this offseason might go. Yeah. Okay. Now there's more though from Mike Hazen. He did say, as far as the roster that we saw this season, that underachieved. And let's be clear, under Torrey Lavello, I think we can all agree the first few seasons here. If anything, the roster overachieved under Torrey Lovello, at least the first couple seasons when they were supposed to be essentially the team they they proved to be this season. Those first couple seasons, Lovello got more out of his players than you would expect. And this season they underachieved. So as far as that roster, is it going to be the same one coming back next year? Yeah, I think personnel is some is a, is a first area of focus. I mean, there's going to be adding to the roster. I, I don't necessarily think the roster you're looking at right now is the roster we're going to be moving into spring training with next year. I, I don't say that from a prediction standpoint. I say that from, you know, just sort of how off seasons have behaved. Um, and, you know, we, we, we traded Starling Marte and we'll have to look at that area. Uh, when we moved him out, there were some young guys that came up and filled in and around all those things. I, I'm, I'm not, you know, the, the, there's not going to be, there's not going to be positions handed to people walking into spring training next year. Um, that doesn't mean there won't be competition for those spots for guys that came up and showed us what they could do. But, I don't believe we're going to have the mindset of just handing positions over to people. Yeah, you know, the next quote here is the one that I've really wondered about, and we're not going to know until we see how this offseason plays out, and really we're not even going to know until we see how the next season begins. But as a general manager, this is going to be such a difficult offseason to determine what you need to do with your team and to evaluate your roster. You know, the NBA and the NHL, I understand that their playoffs were, they looked a little bit different, right? They were in a bubble. It's 
probably more mentally grueling for the players and the coaches and everybody involved. And it looks a little bit different on TV. And the playoffs were shaped a little bit differently in the NHL. But essentially, no, it's it's the same, it's the same game. Baseball, it's the same game when you're out there playing, but overall, as a general manager, you're you're evaluating your team now based on 60 games instead of 162. And baseball, more than any other sport, statistically, is meant to be played out over that big sample size. And what Washington won the World Series last year, they didn't even make the playoffs this year. So as fans of media, and, and look, even as, as members of the team, you can be frustrated with this season, but the question is, if you felt good about your team three months ago, are you willing to blow it up this offseason because of a weird 60 games, which is essentially a weird nine weeks? You could have had three bad weeks in the middle of that, and that, that was it. it. Essentially is what happened to the Diamondbacks. I mean, there were three horrible weeks. So... Hazen was asked that too. You know, how much do you how much do you trust what you saw this year going forward? The, the projection systems are, in, in a lot of ways, are based off recency, and so that recency is going to be a truncated season. And whether you take sixty games and 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 map it out over one sixty two, and sort of take whatever they'd done in sixty games and say that that's what they were going to do on a prorated basis for one hundred sixty two games, I mean, there's probably some decisions to be made with how we're going to deal with projections now and moving forward. I, I, I think if I'm going to answer it in a, in a, in a less nerdy way, um, I would say that I would say that I would probably minimize, um, you know, I would probably minimize what we're, we've seen to some degree this year. My, my, my more instinct would tell me that, you know, what we've seen is likely abnormal um, and not abnormally bad or no, no, abnormally good. Just, just minimizing some of the emphasis on what some of the things that we saw this year. I like that Mike Hazen, without any prompting, gave us the nerdy answer and then the less nerdy answer. And that he knows to. which one is nerdy and, <laughs> and the one that isn't. It's like he just translated his own like analytical GM answer to us and was like, okay, now I've given you the answer. If you can figure that out, then go ahead. But I'm going to translate it for the 99% of the population that didn't totally understand please what please I just said. Please explain this to me like I'm five years old, please, Mike. <laughs> we I don't will, understand. Uh, We'll get back into the D-backs later on in the show. Just want to quickly get back to the Cardinals. The stat that's been floating around today. They have four interceptions by members of their secondary since the start of last season. So, I mean, fair or not, you can make the connection since Vance Joseph took over as defensive coordinator. And the only reason I'm even bringing it up right now is because wasn't it just amazingly noticeable in the fourth quarter of that game on Sunday that they couldn't get an interception. I mean, if you, if you think about it, like an interception is not something that's supposed to happen, right? So that's not something you should be watching a game being like, why aren't they getting an interception? But the fourth quarter of that game, it was just like, if they could just force a turnover, they probably steal this game. And then when it became evident that Detroit was just going to pass and pass on, on that final drive, it's like, you can't just pick them off once. I understand Matthew Stafford is a is a good NFL quarterback. You can't pick him off once. I just I don't remember watching a game and it being so obvious that an interception wasn't happening because that's not supposed to be the norm. It's not like there's an interception every other drive, but it was just like, come on. You just make one play here, you win this game, and it just never happened. And I'm not concerned by it yet. Maybe that's a weird just fluky stat 
We've seen the Cardinals force turnovers. I mean, last year, they have already done it this year. Not interceptions, though. But, I mean, last year, we, how many times did we see Chandler Jones with the strip sack? And other guys were getting in on it, too. I mean, even Terrell Suggs had a, you know, even he had a couple at the start of the year. But they're going to have to find ways to force turnovers outside of it just being Chandler Jones. Because, again, if you're just trying to improve on a two-win season, all right, then Chandler Jones can force all the turnovers. If you're trying to make the playoffs, well, guys in the secondary are going to have to intercept some passes, too. Beat up or not. You've got Patrick Peterson back there. And teams are throwing at him now. This is not three years ago where teams were terrified to throw anywhere near Patrick Peterson. They're throwing near him. Take a Patrick Peterson interception this weekend. I understand Buda Baker's not going to be playing. I get that they, you know, they have some young pieces back there. You're going to have to intercept a pass at some point. It's not something I thought I was going to be saying this season, but when that stat was floating around today, it was just like, you know, it, it's it's funny because I remember just just watching just how you feel watching the fourth quarter of that game. It's like you can't just intercept one pass. I mean, they they faced. Dwayne Haskins already this season. Couldn't intercept Dwayne Haskins? So, we'll see. Teddy Bridgewater's not a bad quarterback, but uh, even the good quarterbacks can get intercepted. Kyler Murray just threw three this past week, so see if the Cardinals can take some of those back uh, this upcoming weekend. All right, we come back. We are going to transition over to basketball. The NBA Finals start tomorrow. Kellen Olsen is going to join us next. We haven't talked to him in a while. He's going to give us his, his thoughts on the entire NBA playoffs up to this point. That is next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. It's the Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. We're back here. It is the Rundown. Luke Lipinski, Cody Fincher behind the glass this Tuesday evening. I'll be honest, Cody. It feels like something's going on out in that newsroom out there, but I can't hear any of it. We just have sports in Thank there. God we can't hear any of it, honestly. I've never been so thankful for the soundproof in this studio where we can just focus on football. we got the baseball game going on, although the Yankees are just destroying Cleveland. And on the Coulter Automotive Group sports line, we have the one and only Kellen Olson. Kellen, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing good. Needed a break from something. I had to put it on mute for a bit, so I feel better already and going to feel even better talking hoops with you. What's up? <laughs> uh, not much, man. Just loving having all the sports back. Um, you and I haven't got to talk on this show in like half a year. So before we get to the NBA Finals, can I just take you back to the the start of bubble life in the NBA when the Phoenix Suns went 8-0 and Devin Booker was right there with Damian Lillard as king of the bubble just your reaction to that, and, and and even more so than that, what that means for the Suns next year. Like, Do you think any of that carries over to next season? Uh, the reaction was that it was, it was honestly surprising, right? Like none of us were predicting this. None of us were expecting this. I was somewhere in the middle of this is never going to happen. The Suns have like zero chance in the bubble and holding out real – hope and being truly optimistic about their chances in the bubble. I was somewhere in the middle where like you seem to wait and see what happens here because there are going to be some unpredictable sort of uh, things that we would view as unsustainable in the regular season happen during this because it's such a short amount of games. It's a new environment. There's so many unknowns going on and kind of what we've seen in the postseason so far with the Nuggets making it to Western Conference Finals, the Heat making it to the Finals. There were some unpredictable things that were going to happen in the bubble and that included the way that the Suns played 
it just seemed like they kind of clicked into place and found themselves. They played the style of basketball that Monty Williams um, wanted to get out of them. And then also just they got really big improved play from a lot of guys. Cam Johnson was great in the starting lineup. Mikel Bridges looked even better. Ricky Rubio looked completely refreshed. DeAndre Ayton had some really great moments. But then, of course, like you mentioned, Devin Booker was probably the best player of those seeding games, I would almost say definitely, with, without Damian Lillard being in the picture. But I think we just saw what Devin is capable of as a top 15, top 20 player in the league. And then if he gets enough confident play around him in close games against really good teams, he's going to be able to take over those games and win them more often than not. And it's, it's, it's scary to talk about that as his potential when you're looking at it from another team's perspective because he's just getting started at playing this level of basketball and this level of importance in basketball games. And he's just going to get better at it. And it was just a really important experience for him and the team to go through. Uh, one more on the Suns before we get to the NBA Finals. With everything you just said there, and, and just a clearly improved team and the continuity of having Monty Williams back next year, and, and it does feel like they're finally building something. The flip side, the other side of the coin, I guess, is the Western Conference. I mean, do you see any of the, the teams that were in the top eight definitely dropping out? And, and really, do you see a few? Because... I would assume a team like Golden State is going to be a lot higher. I would assume New Orleans is probably going to be higher. I mean, this this is not getting any easier, even as they get better. Right. I think the only way to look at this, the West is going to have so much parity next year that even if you're looking towards the bottom of the standings with teams that you mentioned, like you mentioned New Orleans is going to improve. They finished at 30 and 42. They were 13th in the West. Minnesota is 14th, and they've got Carl Anthony Towns, who's one of the best 20-25 players in the league, one of the five best centers in the league. Uh, and they've got D'Angelo Russell, and they've got a pick to work with as well. Sacramento, we haven't mentioned yet, but they certainly have their moments. and They have a lot of talent. The Spurs uh, are another team, and that's before getting to all the teams that we expect to really be in this race. So I think the real way to kind of define it is looking at the teams that you think, like, absolutely without a doubt are going – to be back in the playoffs. And I, I would say for sure the Lakers and Clippers are going to be there. I think the way that Luka Doncic has taken a step forward with his first-team All-NBA recognition, I think you can throw Dallas in there, Denver certainly with the way Jamal Murray got there. As long as Houston has James Harden, it doesn't really matter who else is on his team, they're going to make the playoffs. So that's five teams right there I already mentioned without getting to a team like Utah who look great in the bubble. We'll see what Oklahoma City does. They're the obvious team in terms of dropping off. But Portland has Damian Lillard, who in my opinion is the best point guard in the world right now. Memphis is going to get better, and then, of course, we haven't brought up the Suns yet. So I think that there are four to five to six teams that you can say are for sure, without a doubt, going to make it, even if they get hit by a serious injury or two. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really, really difficult for the Suns to make it into that spot, and I think that's going to give them more urgency in the offseason. Uh, that urgency could be a good thing, too, certainly. Um, to the finals now, we'll, let's start with Miami, a team. I don't know that you would call them a a major surprise. I think a lot of people kind of looked at them as as the tournament started and thought, okay, this team could do some damage. But for them to be in the finals and to look as convincing as they have been in pretty much every series, is this a team that you see that could potentially give the Lakers a legitimate run in a best of seven? Yeah. I, I don't think you have to look at your TV and say that the national media or whoever you want to say is like blowing this up to be an actual real series when it isn't. And they're just trying to get people to watch when everyone feels like the Lakers winning is inevitable. It's not inevitable in the slightest because when you look at these rosters and you compare them to each other, obviously the best player in the series is LeBron James. And obviously the second best player in the series is Anthony Davis. 
But when you're ranking like three through nine, you can make an argument that the next four, five, even six guys that are the best players in the series are on Miami. They've got real balance on their team, something that the Lakers don't have. Usually you always want to bet on the um, the best players in, in the series as opposed to the best team. It, it all obviously depends on how wide the gap is, but by the time you get to the finals, you can usually bet on the player. Uh, you look at some past examples though, in the past like 20 to 30 years, one that comes to mind immediately is that Pistons team that beat the Lakers uh, about 15 years ago with Chauncey Billups, Rasheed Wallace, Tayshaun Prince, Rip Hamilton, and Ben Wallace. You're kind of looking at a younger version of that, but a team that looks like that in Miami that just has a lot of balanced pieces. I'm just intrigued to see the individual matchups, specifically Bam Adebayo versus Anthony Davis, and to see how much Miami can game plan for Anthony Davis because the best wrinkle in this series is that the coach who knows LeBron James better than anyone else in the league right now, better than Frank Vogel in my opinion, is Eric Spolstra. He just wins series sometimes just based on the way he coaches them, and he is going to have a game plan to limit LeBron James. Uh, to the Lakers side of things, the 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 factor to me coming into this postseason that, that really pushed the Lakers over the top in my mind was the simple fact that we've never seen LeBron play with rest. I mean, he, you know, for better or for worse, everybody got the four and a half months of rest, but I can't remember a time where he had that big of a break from basketball, going back to like junior high. So that was my reasoning to think that the Lakers would get to this point, and I, I do think they'll ultimately win, although I hope Miami pulls it off. But in your mind, I mean, he's got the three titles already. If he wins this one this year, where does the, the, the Lakers roster around him rank compared to those two teams he won with Miami and, and the year he won with Cleveland? Oh, that's that's really interesting to think about because I think that it's really been a mixed bag in terms of what you would have expected out of his supporting cast. In the bubble, Danny Green has been has been terrible. If you search Danny Green on Twitter right now, you'll pretty much see Lakers Twitter trying to cancel him and get his like contract canceled, like the whole thing. They just absolutely despise watching him right now. And then on the other side of that, someone like Rajon Rondo, who can be quite honestly miserable to watch when he doesn't have, go- have it going. He's been playoff Rondo. He's been really great in some of these games. Caruso has been pretty great. Dwight Howard has like not been a factor on an NBA team in, in quite a while. It's been three or four years, but he legitimately made a difference in a couple of those Denver games and has, has been good for them. So it, it, I don't know exactly where I would rank it in terms of his supporting cast, but I think it's an interesting question to bring up because when I brought up Spolstra, I think Spolstra is basically going to force LeBron to do everything else to beat them except attack off the dribble and get to the basket. I think you're going to see two to three defenders cutting him off and forcing him to make passes, which, of course, LeBron is entirely capable of. But what they're not going to do is allow him to take more than seven or eight shots at the rim, take more than seven or eight free throws a game, and it's going to be on the shooting that they have, which was the big weakness of this team going into the season. Now they've been able to hit some shots, but if you're going to force guys like Rondo, Kuzma, Caldwell Pope, Caruso to shoot threes, that's where you can perhaps get an advantage in this series. And I'm just really interested to see the initial game plan for – Miami and how they defend LeBron and how that adjusts going forward because that's the best thing about playoff basketball in my opinion is that you see game plans continually tweaked and adjusted accounting for what the other team is doing and LeBron's the smartest basketball player that's ever played the game in my opinion so how he himself chooses to dictate and kind of realize when Spolstra is getting him to dictate his game a certain way and how he can change that 
Uh, as you can tell, I'm, I'm very excited, and I think that people should be a lot more excited for this series than they probably are. I think it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, it sounds like you're. you're I'm not going to make you make a prediction on, on you know who's going to win or, where, or how it's going to play out, but just in terms of games, you expect this to be a long series. I don't think it's going to – I think it's going to go at least six. I, I will not pick against LeBron James. I've picked against him a couple too many times. Some people can make the record joke with his finals and stuff, but I always picked – uh, against LeBron when his supporting cast wasn't good enough. I just think that Anthony Davis, the form that he has been playing at and the supporting help just being enough has been there. And in my, and in my opinion, LeBron has only been in gear two or three. I think we saw him go to gear four, go to gear five in that last game against Denver, but he's been saving a lot in the tank, in my opinion. I think he's going to unleash it in this series. I've got the Lakers in six, but I think it is going to be a very, very competitive six. I'm really interested to see how the young, younger Heat players kind of respond to the moment that they're in. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm really looking forward to this. I've enjoyed these playoffs because it hasn't been as predictable and as chalky as they have been in years past. Kellen Olsen, great stuff as always. It's great to talk to you again, man. Enjoy the finals and, and probably don't unmute your TV for another hour. <laughs> I am going to exit every – I'm just going to be in a room that doesn't have a TV so I don't have to see it. But uh, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, Kellen. Thanks a lot, man. Take care. Thanks. That's Kellen Olsen joining us on the Culture Automotive Group Sports Line, your family-owned dealership for Cadillac, Buick, GMC, Nissan, and Infinity. Of course, you can find all of Kellen Olsen's work on ArizonaSports.com. I have yet to meet somebody that knows more about the Phoenix Suns than Kellen Olsen, other than, like, Monty Williams. So yeah, if you if you are uh, if you're craving some some basketball content, even though we're heading towards the off season in about a week, you know where to find it on ArizonaSports.com with Kellen. All right, when we come back, it's possible, and this is rare, it's possible the Houston Texans are about to get something the Cardinals need. We'll talk about that next. It's the rundown with Luke Lipinski on ninety eight seven FM Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown with Luke Lipinski. I've always heard you're a very good guy and women. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. <laughs> well, the Cardinals could certainly use help in the secondary, especially now with Buda Baker set to miss at least a week. The Houston Texans could use help in the secondary, and it looked like they were going to go out there and get Earl Thomas, and now they're not. He was supposed to work out, and he had the uh, workout canceled. There are conflicting reports as to why the workout is canceled. The uh, The first one came out that um, it was because of COVID-19 concerns, and now there are other reports out there that the Texans just decided to not have Earl Thomas work out, so they still need help in the secondary. But for a second there... It seemed like Houston might actually sign a piece that the Cardinals could use. And then, of course, you know, if Houston has him, you figure you can just trade nothing to them and uh, and get him from them. But the Cardinals' search for help in the secondary uh, continues. No real major updates on that today. In case you missed it yesterday, it sounded like Tony Jefferson might be in play. Uh, our own Gambo reported in the afternoon after talking to Tony Jefferson that that was not going to be the case because the Cardinals need help, like, now. And, uh, and Tony Jefferson didn't think he would be ready to, to just step right in and play at 100% uh, without like a week or two to get ready. So the uh, that's obviously going to be a developing story here for the Cardinals, at least until they get Buda Baker back. Or if they go out there and you know, they may just try and piece it together with smaller names and try and get through the Carolina game and uh, the New York game. Other news around the NFL, the Denver Broncos... And I sort of alluded to this earlier in the show. They're on Thursday Night Football this week. And I really feel like the NFL 
knows we'll watch any game if it's a standalone game. Like, I, I like a lot of what the NFL does, but you get to Sunday and they, they will just line 10 games up against each other. 10 pretty good games. No, they're not all great. It's, it's, you can only do what you can do schedule-wise. But, like, just think back to last week, okay? Last, last Sunday morning, you're getting ready for the Cardinals game. You had Rams-Bills. That game was outstanding. Bears-Falcons wasn't good until the fourth quarter, but can you really turn a Falcons game off before the fourth quarter at this point? Titans-Vikings came down to the wire. One-point win for Tennessee. Patriots-Raiders was good. The Raiders were 2-0. and I believe that was the first time they've met in New England since the Tuck Rule game, isn't it? Is that the stat that, that came out yesterday? I think it was, which is crazy. Um, you know, Steelers, Texans, all these, a lot of games that you would watch if they were standalone games. But on Thursday night, we got Miami Jacksonville. And this Thursday, we're going to get Denver and the Jets. And Denver's quarterback is not Drew Locke. It's not even Jeff Driscoll. It's Brett Rippon, son of former NFL quarterback Mark Rippon. And the same guy that uh, Broncos head coach Vic Fangio referred to as Mark Rippon at his press conference today. So that's it's always good when your coach doesn't get your uh, your quarterback's name right as you head into a game. I, I don't that know. guy starting. Yeah. That one over there. You know, number whatever. Number 12. Y- you. I was looking on Football Outsiders earlier today, and they do the, the percentage to make the playoffs, the percentage to win the Super Bowl, whatever. They have percentage to get the number one overall pick. And... Who would you say, Cody, who would you say is most likely to be picking first in April? Because I would say the Jets. I would say the Jets are the worst team I've seen. I would put my money on the Jets. Or the Giants, even now. Yeah. Football Outsiders had the Broncos with a 17% chance leading the way. And I'll tell you what, of those three teams we just talked about, I don't know. Like, who's happiest with their quarterback out of those three? If Denver gets the first pick, are they taking Trevor Lawrence when they just Can they get Trevor Lawrence to... Play right now because they might need a quarterback. Wouldn't that be great? You just draft. It's so unfortunate for Denver because this was the year they needed Drew Locke to play a whole season to see if he's is the future. Yeah, and now he's out for whoever who knows how long. Yeah, and you're not going to find anything from Jeff Driscoll and what was it? Brett Brett Rippin. Brett Rippin. Brett Rippin. Not to be confused even... with Mark Favre. <laughs> Brett Rippin. <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, I feel bad for Denver because they are 0-3 because all of their players are hurt. And you're right. I mean, if if they do get the first pick, they're in a tough spot because it's like you can't really pass on Trevor Lawrence for Drew Locke, but you don't know what you have in Drew Locke. So is he then going to be a, a very capable backup or are you going to let him go and he's going to thrive somewhere else? I mean, that's just a tough spot to be in. Whereas, you know, if, if the Jets get the first pick, well, they're just terrible. And even though Sam Darnold was a high pick a couple years ago, at that point, you've got you've to start over. So that's our Thursday night game. Everybody just get ready for that one. And uh, one other NFL note, the, did you see the Raiders are potentially in trouble for a public gathering in Henderson, Nevada, without players wearing masks at a fundraiser? Oh, jeez. Yeah, so um, Mark Davis, the uh, Raiders owner, said, uh, it's, <laughs> quote, you don't like seeing this, unquote. Yeah, that's a pretty good way to put it, Mark. He did go on to say, I, I don't know that we've totally built it into our memories yet that you uh, that you have to wear a mask. But uh, I think we're getting there. I mean, we've been dealing with this for six months. And um, yeah, you know, it's 
it's just a mess. It is. But you hope, hopefully nothing comes out of that and the Raiders, if anything, just get, you know, in trouble for it and then everybody's fine and they can go back to playing. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with Mark Davis on this one. You don't like seeing this. You know what, man? You got to like guys that have energy, man. All right, day one of the baseball playoffs. If you love baseball, you got to be loving this. You got to really be loving tomorrow. Eight playoff games in one day. Cody, your favorite sport is baseball, isn't it? Yes, it is. You host a baseball podcast here at Arizona Sports. Yes, I do. So the ain't you, no fang podcast. Ain't no fang. Do you like the uh, the sixteen team format? For this year, permanently, or not at all? For this year, it made sense. Um, I mean, it's great for tomorrow. We have literally 24 hours of baseball, I feel like. But I don't know. If things get back to normal next year, I wouldn't mind seeing it go back to the way it was. I feel like this is a lot lot of... uh, A lot of playoff baseball and i like the the uh one game elimination wild card game that's so intense i love those games (laughs) they're amazing it's a great way to kick off the playoffs and we didn't get that this year now all the wild card series are best of three yeah uh, but i mean even best of three is still pretty intense like we were talking earlier i mean if 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 the dodgers one more game at the you know at the least yeah i mean if the dodgers were playing it's it's tough because Milwaukee's number one starters out, so they're just throwing a bunch of middle relievers out there against the Dodgers in Game One against Walker Bueller. That's not going to work. But if the Dodgers were playing almost any other playoff team, they would face a legitimate number one starter. And if Walker Bueller just has a bad inning, and you're facing a, a legitimate number one starter, and all of a sudden you're the Dodgers and you're down one zero, and you can't lose again, I mean they haven't won a World Series since 1988. I don't think that plays in their mind going into game one, but if they were down 1-0, then yeah, all bets are off. Uh, but that's not the case. The Dodgers are playing the Brewers, and like I said, the Brewers don't have a number one starter right now because Corbin Burns is out. Uh, games that took place today. Tampa Bay won, and Robbie Ray took the loss for the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> I'm sure they're so happy they traded for him in a game that only saw nine hits and four total runs Blue Jays were actually hanging around with the number one seed in the American League until Robbie Ray came in and gave up the winning record. It was 0-0 when he came in. Yeah. And it was a very Robbie Ray-esque inning. He threw 25 pitches in the inning, gave up a gave up a leadoff triple. That guy scored on a wild pitch that was ball four. And yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and Very Robbie Ray-like. Right on brand. Uh, White Sox over the A's, Lucas Giolito, in case you missed it, had a perfect game going in t- into the eighth inning. And uh, the White Sox get the win over Oakland. So the A's <laughs> do this every year, it feels like now. Great regular season. They're one game away from being eliminated. The Astros, the team I feel like everybody is collectively rooting against, and probably rightly so, uh, they, I guess, surprised. A lot of people seem to think the Twins are going to win the series. I mean, the Astros were just in the World Series last year, so I'm, until... Until proven otherwise, I'm still going to pick them to at least win a couple rounds. Stupid twins. They, uh, what are you doing? They've been, well, they're losing. 4-1 to one, the final there. The Astros get the win. And in progress right now, the Yankees all over Shane Bieber and the Indians. 11-2 uh, to two in the ninth inning. So 
That was that was another one. A lot of people seem to think Cleveland might be able to win that series, and they still could uh, because they have the better pitching than the Yankees. But Garrett Cole versus uh, Shane Bieber was was that was quite the mismatch, at least in this one game. And uh, the Yankees are about to go up one nothing in that series. All right, we're about to go to our number two of the show. We'll come back, and we don't have another show this week, so we're going to start looking ahead to Cardinals Panthers this upcoming weekend. That's next. It's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. This is The Rundown, hosted by Luke Lipinski, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Hour number two of the show, live from the Auction Community Studios. Luke Lipinski here with you, Cody Fincher behind the glass. In case you need a break from all the madness going on outside of the world of sports tonight. And really every day, it feels like. Tune in here. We'll talk some sports for... we got one more hour tonight, and we're going to start the hour with a look ahead to what the Cardinals have this weekend against the Carolina Panthers. Yes, I understand it's only Tuesday, but uh, we don't have a show the rest of the week because of the NBA Finals, which you can hear right here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. And of course, on Thursday... Uh, big red rage, and for the Cardinals this uh, this upcoming weekend, Cody, you you asked the question on last night's show: Are these essentially two must win games for Arizona? And I thought about it after I left because I said no on the show last night, and I'm I'm still going to say no, but they got to win one of them, don't they? If you somehow came out of this two and three, that's it. You have to win. I mean, it, it it would be okay if you didn't consider this one against Carolina a must-win, but just seeing as how bad the Jets are, you have to win against the Jets. Yeah, I don't know what that would do to your, your, just your psyche of your team if you lost to the Jets. I mean, I, assuming the Jets win a game or two this season, I'm going to guess any team they beat either misses the playoffs completely or... Or is some team that's resting starters because they're already in and it doesn't, you know, it's not going to mess with them mentally at all. But, uh, you know, yeah, fringe middle of the pack team that's trying to work their way up like the Cardinals, especially uh, a team that's younger at some pretty key positions. They can't lose that one. But you really, when you look ahead to the rest of the schedule and you see those two games against the Seahawks and two against the Rams and one against the Patriots and the Bills and another one against the 49ers who you would figure would at least be a little bit healthier by then. That's at the end of the season. You realize these games against Carolina are the games that you need to win, especially coming off a loss last week. So I didn't think that the Cardinals went out there and played a lackluster game against Detroit because they weren't totally engaged or anything like that. I don't feel like they took Detroit lightly. I don't, I don't, I don't think this Cardinals team, A, is at that point where they've achieved anything where you run the risk of taking anybody lightly. And then also B, and I talked to Wolf about this on Sunday and even before the, uh, the, the second game against Washington. They've got leadership in Larry Fitzgerald. That's about the best leadership you can have. Kyler Murray, even though he's inexperienced at the NFL level, pretty pretty, uh, pretty poised quarterback mentally off the field. So even if the Cardinals had won last week, I don't think they're going to come in here and take Carolina lightly. But now coming off a loss, I mean, I, we should see an Arizona team that plays with the desperation that Detroit did in that game. As far as the Cardinals' opponents this week, they don't have Christian McCaffrey. 
They do have Mike Davis, who actually stepped in and, and played pretty well. Uh, Carolina is coming off a win against the L.A. Chargers last week, 21-16. to You know, Carolina really is like that league average team, aren't they? Like, if you're better than Carolina, okay, you're probably a playoff team. If you're worse than Carolina, yeah, probably not a playoff team. If you look at what they've done this season, they barely lost to the Raiders in Week 1. They ended up losing to Tampa Bay 31-17 in Week 2, and then the 21-16 win over the Chargers. Carolina is going to want to play a close game and then just kind of grind it out and see if, you know, at home with a West Coast team in Arizona traveling east to play the early game, Carolina's going to try and use that to their advantage. And, uh, and just, yeah, I mean, that's that's how they're going to try and win this game. They've got Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. It's a much different-looking team than the last time the Cardinals saw the Carolina Panthers. Robbie Anderson leads the way in receiving. He's right up there, not that far behind uh, DeAndre Hopkins. He's definitely a top-five receiver in terms of yards. DJ Moore, uh, who had a breakout year last year. Curtis Samuel is at least an option. He's got 96 yards this season. They have been a lot more successful through the air, and this is probably surprising to some people. It kind of was to me. They've been a lot more successful through the air than the Cardinals have so far this season, so... We'll see. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, two touchdowns, two interceptions this year. He just kind of, he's not going to lose you a game. He's probably not going to be the guy that wins you the game either. So, with all due respect to Teddy Bridgewater, if you're trying to win a Super Bowl, I don't know that he's the guy to get you there, but he's better than at least a dozen of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So you understand why Carolina, I don't understand why they went away from Cam Newton or how he got on the Patriots. But if you're starting over, you understand why they would take a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, and uh, he's, he's been serviceable so far. All right, moving right along and back to baseball. Tori Lovello on with Burns and Gambo today. Was asked if he's excited about the playoffs. I'm going to be watching those games, and I'm going to be throwing up. You know, I feel like we should be one of the teams, top eight teams in the National League. It's what we set our sights on, not to be the eighth team, but to be one of the most competitive teams of the year. Um, but we we felt like um, we had everything ready. We were lined up. We had a very competitive summer camp. We we felt good about starting the season, and and uh, we just didn't get off to a good start. I'm distracted there at the very end because Giancarlo Stanton just hit a home run. I don't even think he swung. Did you see that, Cody? It's just kind of like he it was like a check swing home run. Exit velocity one sixteen point one. They put it on the screen. I'm I can't like one sixteen. Yeah. Holy crap! Like, I haven't seen a home run. It was just such a weird looking hit. Like he kind of they're showing the replay now. He just like yeah, he swung. Maybe it was just a weird angle angle that they showed before, but that thing got out of there like one second later. It was in the seats, so it is now uh, twelve to two. The Indians are catching the Yankees at a horrible time because most of the year, like every member of the Yankees was hurt. Yeah, and now they're all healthy again. Yeah. Oh boy, it's not. Look, I mean, this is this is looking like the Yankees team that people outside of New York. This were is predicting a twelve to, to two game in a in a game where probably Shane Bieber's probably going to win the AL Cy Young Award. Yeah, and man, and uh, Cleveland needed to win this game. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say Cleveland has the pitching advantage in games two and three, maybe. But if the Yankees are get hitting like this, if these bats get hot, I don't want to play the Yankees for a while. 
Uh, Tori Lavella was also asked, do you think any of your players quit on the season? I felt like there were certain times in the game, uh, in our in that 20-game um, stretch where we only won two games, I felt like there were times where the guys just got so frustrated. They're like, man, what else do I have to do? Are we are we going to ever win another baseball game? I started to get that feeling from them that maybe it was, it was a little bit too much over the last two innings of a game for us to come back from a four or five run deficit. Um, but as far as shutting down or quitting or, or, or not accepting coaching, uh, I don't think that happened all year long. And it was something that I kept a very close eye on because for me, you're right, if you're going to shut down, I'm going to have a problem with that. Yeah, it's interesting that, that he said that and interesting that they asked him because I remember uh, being at one of the games and then the Zoom call afterwards, Lavello was asked, do you have any ideas for why this is happening? You know, it wasn't just it was it was one of the games in that in that stretch that he's talking about right there where they won two of twenty, and it wasn't oh yeah you know the, the our pitchers are getting the the ball too high up in the strike zone it wasn't any of that. He gave this cryptic answer of, "I have a few theories, but I'm not going to share them with you now." And we never really got a clear definition of what he was talking about now that the season's over. But he did sort of allude to what he just said flat out right there. Guys seem to be getting frustrated. And to the point where they were almost trying to do too much or they were getting exasperated because they felt like they were doing enough and they just weren't getting wins. And in a nine-week season, it can slip away pretty quickly, and, and, and we saw that. Uh, the question now going forward, and this sort of goes hand-in-hand hand with what we were talking about with Mike Hazen earlier, You know, how do you evaluate your team going into next season? Take the emotion out of it. Take the fan part out of it where you're, you're frustrated and you're angry. You don't want to break something if it's not truly already broken. You know what I mean? You don't want to go into next season and be like, oh yeah, we tore up our roster because we had those bad four weeks last season. Like, All right, maybe it wasn't that bad. you got to be honest with yourself. Sort of along those lines, Tori Lavella was asked, do you believe you have the right core in place to build around? I do. I think uh, we have enough pieces here, no doubt about it. Um, we have some really good players. You know, I could tell Marte's year wasn't what he wanted. We got to remember he was in the top five in the MVP um, voting in 2019. David Peralta has been a fantastic hitter for several years. We have Cole Calhoun, uh, and, and I, I'm, I, I'm not going to name them all, but I don't want to get too long-winded. But we have some really, really good pieces from an offensive standpoint. And then on the mound, I think it's, it, it matches. I think it starts with Bum. We have uh, an up start um, superstar and Zach Allen. We have other understudies that can get the baseball and spin it and land it where we need them to. Uh, I think we have a really good core group of guys that understand what the philosophy is here. We want to win base- baseball games. we got to go out there and compete every single night and win the margins. And one more from Tori Lovello here before we hit the break. What do you mean when you talk about changing your culture? Culture here is very deeply rooted. Um, it's deeply rooted on trust, care, communication. I think all the players know that. I think it goes back into that pressing mentality that we never really experienced before in such a short, shortened season. Like I said, I'm not going to use that as an excuse. If we got to, if we got to examine the culture here, if we got to examine what's going on here, uh, and I've kind of started out with a lot of the conversations at the end, towards the end of the year, um, then we will. But I don't think it had anything to do with the culture because it is, like I said. So deeply rooted, but to press and fight and be as frustrated as we were this year, I think we got to turn the page on that and never let that happen again. I think it's going to be really important for the Diamondbacks to get off to at least an average start next season. I mean, ideally, they would go out and win eight of their first ten or something, and then this season would immediately be written off as just you know some teams. There was you knew there was going to be two or three teams that overachieved because it was a short season, and two or three teams that underachieved, and the Diamondbacks were clearly one of them. 
unless they come out and start next season slow, and then you have all that doubt creeping back into the players' minds and certainly the fans' minds, and every team wants to start strong, but I really think it's important for the Diamondbacks to, at the very least, come out playing 500 to begin next season. You can't have one of these stretches where, you know, we lost the opening series and then we got swept the next series, and yeah, all of a sudden everybody's questioning themselves. I think it's also important that Madison Bumgarner looks a lot better than he did this year. That's... um. That's the obvious one because Yasmani Tomas money finally coming off the books, but now you're paying Madison Bumgarner a lot more than you paid him this season going forward. All right, we come back. It's time to play a game. We'll play more or less next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. It is the rundown here on a Tuesday night, and it is time to play more or less. Cody Fincher behind the glass. I'm Luke Lipinski. Cody, I do not think you have played this game before either. We're just, well, I was told it was called Over Under. Well, I figured I'd throw you a curveball to start things off. So I feel unprepared. Okay, <laughs> It totally changes the whole concept <laughs> of the game. Uh, all right, the way this works, very simple. I'm going to throw a number at Cody. I'm going to throw the, a scenario with the number. And he's going to have to give me over or under. And then actually we'll both probably answer each one. He's going to do the same thing, throwing numbers back at me. Um, I'm going to go first. I got one for you, okay? okay? Let's see. Let's start simple. Over under, four and a half rings for LeBron when he retires. He's got three right now. I think he's getting his fourth in the next week and a half. I'm going to say over. I think he'll get five. And then he'll call it. Just to prove you right that it was over four and a half. And then he'll retire instantly. Yep, yep. Um, LeBron and I go way back. and <laughs> I, I kind of, I tend to agree. I think they're going to win one in the next week and a half. I, it's not, it's no disrespect to Miami. I think Miami is legit and I think they'll be back um, as, a, as a contender next year. But I just think the Lakers and LeBron specifically are on a mission. And then I do think that they still have one of the best teams in the NBA next year. The Clippers are kind of in disarray. I don't think the Nuggets are quite there with the Lakers yet. And I think LeBron's going to try unsuccessfully to get six rings to match Jordan. But I think he'll get five. So I'm with you. Yeah. All right. My first one. We've seen Kyler Murray run the ball a lot so far through three weeks. So... Kyler Murray will have over under 500 yards rushing this season. Uh, I'll go over. Yeah? Yeah. What did he have 29 last week? He took a, a, a big step back in that regard. It was in the 20s against Detroit. But he hit 544 last year. And going into last week, he was on pace for like 1,200-something. Um, now, I do think teams are going to try and do something similar to what Detroit did and basically tell Kyler Murray... You're going to have to beat us with your arm because we can take one thing away. If we can, it's it's going to be your ability to run on us. I don't know if they can fully take that away, and I do think he can beat teams with his arm, but I think teams are going to make him prove it for a little bit. I'll still go over. I will, I'll will. i go over, too. Yeah? I mean, I think, like you were saying, I think teams will adjust and maybe try to take the run away, so they'll have to throw it more, but the, Kyler Murray is just he's so dynamic as a runner. He made Jeff Okuda look stupid yeah. on Sunday running into the end zone and like it was just I've never seen a quarterback run like he does it's it, it really he is like a very skilled running back when he starts running and um 
know, 500, that's basically like 40-ish yards a game. He'll, I, yeah, I think he'll definitely do that. He's still, he's still going to be one of the top. He's five yards ahead of Lamar Jackson right now, so he's still the top rushing quarterback through three games. Um, okay. To baseball. Over under two and a half Diamondback pitchers with double-digit wins next season. And I'll give you some context. I'm not going to use this year because there was only 60 games. Last year, Merrill Kelly, Robbie Ray, and Zach Greinke all had double-digit wins. So, I mean, the rotation obviously looks a lot different next year than it did last year. But do you think they have more than two and a half guys with double-digit wins? Mm. I think if they don't, they're in trouble. I'm going to right now, I'm going to say under. Yeah. I think... I mean, the guy who got the, the the least amount of run support this year is Zach Gallen. Yeah, he should have had a lot more wins, but I think he's the guy that that would probably be best the best odds to have ten or more wins. I think he'll do it. And right now, it's just, I don't know what to think of Madison Bumgarner. He's the only other guy that I could see getting that amount of wins. Yeah. And right now, I mean, it's just this season is so weird. Madison Bumgarner was terrible and then can't pitch past five innings. So if he can pitch five innings and not <laughs> give up seven earned runs, then... <laughs> well, yeah, that would help. I mean, I, I think Merrill Kelly, assuming he can pitch most of the season, I think he could do it. But you're right, it, it sort of swings on Bumgarner because, you know, beyond that, you might just have a bunch of guys... You could still have a decent season with a bunch of guys that had, like, five wins, but that's very the, unstable. The win stat for a pitcher... I hate that. It's stat. trash. It is. It's terrible. It's garbage, yeah. It does not reflect how good of a pitcher you are. I could have gone with quality starts, but I didn't want to. Okay. So there you go. Word. That's How, fair. How's that for a reason? That's fair. Uh, I'll stick with the D-backs then. Uh, over under three former Diamondbacks who will participate in this year's World Series. Oh, man. That's a good question because I'd, I'd have to look There's at all the There's a rosters. lot of them this year. I'm going to say, trying to think of which teams would have two. I, I feel confident that we're going to see a Diamondback, a former Diamondback, on each team in the World Series, but I'm going to go under three players total. Okay. Because I think each team's just going to have one. Okay. Uh, Jake yeah. Lamb and AJ Pollock. <laughs> it's not going to be Jake Lamb. If they lose tomorrow, they're done. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe, unfortunately, AJ Pollock. Um, let's go to football. Over under 99 and a half rushing yards for Kenyon Drake on Sunday. Do we see Kenyon Drake get his first 100-yard game of the season? I do not think so. I think he will be under that. I would love to see it because that would probably mean they're winning in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. I think he'll be under that. What do you think? I'm going to go over because I okay. think they're going to make it a point of emphasis at least early in the game. And I do think they're going to win the game. So I think it, they're not garbage yards, but I mean, I, I, in fact, they might be the most important yards of the game. But I think he's going to rack up like 40 in the fourth quarter. So okay. I, I'm, I'm going to go over, but I absolutely see why you're going under because he hasn't done it yet this year. We will stick then with that Cardinals-Panthers matchup. Larry Fitzgerald only had one catch. We talked about this last night. One catch for zero yards against the Detroit Lions. So, against the Carolina Panthers this Sunday, Larry Fitzgerald will have over or under five and a half catches. Oof. That's a good number. 
Uh, I'm going to just assume DeAndre Hopkins will have 10 again. Yeah, well, that, that, you know, just, that's a given. I'm going to say over because so such a big deal is, is being made and was, was being made right after the game about the need to get him more involved. He has, what, 12 catches through the first three games, had just the one, so 11. He had, so, yeah, he averaged five and a half in the first two games. I think that, uh, yeah, I'm going to say over. I think they, they're going to sort of remember he's on the team. Yeah, I agree with you. Both Cliff and Kyler talked about it after the game, and they seem kind of like, yeah, I don't know why we didn't throw the ball more to Larry Fitzgerald. And I so I feel like at least early on in the game, they're probably going to target him quite a bit. Well, yeah, and look, let's let's be clear here. I mean, some sometimes players are asked after a game by the media about some meaningless stat or, hey, why didn't you get this guy the ball on this play and it didn't impact the, the outcome of the game or whatever. Larry Fitzgerald is one of your main ep- weapons on offense right now. He is a, a, a piece of the puzzle to beat a team like Detroit or Carolina that you didn't use last week, and as a result, you lost to Detroit. So that's a very legitimate question that they need to address. Um, okay, I'll stay with football for another one. Over, under, one and a half interceptions for Kyler Murray this weekend. He's got five through three games. Mm, one and a half, you say? Yes. I'm going to go over. Oh. I'm going to say he gets two. I'm going to say no. he has two interceptions. Oh, if he gets two interceptions. Uh, I, I'm going to say under. I'm going to I'm gonna confidently say under. He'll have half an interception. I, you know what? I think he doesn't <laughs> throw any of this. Week. Oh, okay. All right. I'm going to be optimistic. I don't know why. Um, I'll say in the NFL, not Cardinals related, but the NFL as a whole is experiencing its first uh, in-season battle against COVID with eight total people in the Tennessee Titans organization testing positive for COVID-19. And now their st- their game status with the Steelers is kind of up in the air. They don't know if they're going to keep playing on Sunday or move it. So I ask you, over under five, five and a half games that get moved. Oh, or okay. postponed or affected from a COVID outbreak. This is a variation of my last question. Oh, um, sorry. No, no, it's it's good. Over, under, across the NFL, five and a half. I don't know why I'm feeling optimistic tonight. There are very few reasons. <laughs> I'm going to say under five and a half, but I do think I think we're going to see a couple get moved. Um, yeah, I mean, that's like we said earlier in the show, it's going to be a challenge. I, I'll just I'll throw my last one at you then. Over under 15 and a half regular season games <laughs> played by the Tennessee Titans this year. Oh. <laughs> it has I, to be over, right? I think it will be. It has to be over. They're not going to not play a football game. Okay. They're not going to sacrifice the TV ratings. Okay. And the money that comes with playing a football game. when they, if, As long as they can follow the proper precautions and, and get everyone cleared to play and get everything yeah. situated, then I don't see why they they would completely cancel a game without playing it. Especially because Tennessee is 3-0. and So, yeah. I mean, that's probably a playoff team. So that all of their games are going to matter in terms of not just making the playoffs, but playoff seeding. If this was the Jets and it became a huge nightmare... The difference was, hey, you're going to go one and fourteen or one and fifteen. Then maybe that game gets canceled. Oh, can we just cancel the rest of the Jets games, please? You think you want to cancel them? How do you think the Jets feel? Uh, here, I got one more since we have a couple more seconds. Over under five and a half games in this year's NBA Finals. Ooh, that's good. I'm going to say over. I think I'm, it goes seven. I'm not even making you pick a winner. Really? I think it goes seven. seven. Oh. I think it goes seven. If it goes seven... I really like the Miami Heat. I do, too. I mean, if it goes seven, then 
I could see Miami winning the series at that point. Yeah. That's the only way. They're not winning it in less than seven. I, I think the Lakers are going to win in... I would probably go under. I'd say Lakers in five, okay. honestly. But uh, that's just because I don't want them Maybe to Maybe that's win. just because I just want it to go seven. <laughs> I don't know. All right. That was uh, over-under, more or less, whatever. We called it more or less, and then we said over-under 600 times in the segment. When we come back, we will hear from Dave Pash, get his thoughts on what happened on Sunday and what's going to happen next Sunday. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Keeping it live and local with Luke Lipinski on the Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Yeah, it's a good, uh, good way to end that clip. With Dave Pash, I, I think that uh, I think I'm in that same spot. I'm not concerned about the Cardinals. Big picture, they already look like they're ahead of schedule, but they got our hopes up in the first two weeks, and it, it wasn't a fluke. We saw something real there. So it's like I know there's going to be growing pains, and that's fine if we look back and we're like eight weeks into the season, and the Cardinals are five and two, or even four and three, depending who they lose to. And you're like, okay, but that Detroit game is kind of a blip on the radar. But uh, I, I want I want them beating the teams that they should beat. And until Detroit does something bigger than just beat the Cardinals, because that's about all they've done the last couple of years, uh, I'm going to consider that a game that they should win. Uh, quickly to the uh, baseball scoreboard. All the games are final now here before we hit the break. Tampa over Toronto, 3-1. to one. The uh, White Sox over the A's, 4-1. to one. All these series are best of three. They all started today. Astros over the Twins, 4-1. to one. That was a game, if you saw it, Minnesota had multiple chances to win that. They just never did. Zach Greinke got the start for the Astros, pitched well. Uh, didn't get the win, but he, he pitched well. And then the Yankees just destroyed Cleveland in the nightcap, 12-3. to three. Shane Bieber, Cody, as you said it, probably going to win the American League Cy Young this year. And he and everybody else in the Cle- the uh, Cleveland uh, bullpen today just got lit up. Bieber gave up seven earned runs in four and two-thirds innings. So it wasn't like he left down 2 nothing and the bullpen imploded. No, he imploded. He gave up a home run to Aaron Judge, like two batters. In- First two hitters of the game for the Yankees. DJ LeMahieu got on base. Aaron Judge put the ball in the seats. And they were off. So... Uh, eight games, eight playoff games tomorrow. And when we come back, we're going to do a top five to wrap up the show that is baseball slash kind of Diamondback, former Diamondback themed. That is next. It's a rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Keeping it live and local with Luke Lipinski on the rundown. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Final segment of the show. Been a lot more baseball in this show than we've been talking uh, recently because now we've got the playoffs going. It's exciting. You got playoffs. You got the NFL. You got the NBA Finals starting tomorrow. The Stanley Cup wrapped up last night. For those three months of nothing that we had in the world of sports, four months, but then it'd be like four months. Um, this has been great, and it will continue to be great here going forward. One of the themes, unfortunately, if you're a Diamondbacks fan over the last few years, has been not watching the Diamondbacks in the playoffs, but watching former Diamondbacks in the playoffs. So we wrestled with this. Were we going to do the top five former Diamondbacks in the playoffs that you're rooting against, uh, that you're paying attention to, or we finally settled on that you're rooting for? 
There are a lot, and I will say I did not find like a comprehensive list anywhere that was just like, here's all the former Diamondbacks that are in the 2020 baseball playoffs. I tried doing that, too, and it's like, no one's kept track of this? How? There's, there's so many teams, though, right? I mean, there's 16 teams <laughs> in the playoffs. Um, so I went through and just kind of found a manual list during uh, pre-show prep and even some of the commercial breaks. So we may have different lists here, considering. Okay. Uh, I will let you start, Cody. Number five. You did okay. a great job these uh, these last two days. Number five, Bob Melvin, mm. the manager of the Oakland A's. I really liked Bob Melvin when he was here. I did too. The 2007 Diamondbacks team with Brandon Webb and just guys that the misfit bunch of them, like Eric Burns and all those guys, Mark Reynolds who came out of nowhere. Brandon Webb was amazing. They had they had Levon Hernandez who was like four hundred pounds but could pitch and he threw like eighty two miles per hour. That was fun. Oh wow! But I've I've always liked Bob Melvin and he he's done a really good job in Oakland. Just haven't been able to get over that hump and beat the better teams in the AL. So I'm really rooting for him and the Oakland A's to to go far. But they need a win tomorrow. Yeah, or, or they're because they're done if they if they don't. A side note on on something you just said right there: Are you also rooting for Eric Burns in his Southern California softball league, or is that no. Eric? No, Eric no. Burns. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He was so good, and then they paid him $30 million, and then he tore both his hamstrings and was never heard from again. He, he, well, they, then until he showed up in San Diego playing in a softball right. league. I've seen that. He, those videos are hilarious. Uh, here, I'm going to go number five. This is a uh, not a, not obscure. I mean, he was just on the team last year. But uh, Chicago White Sox outfielder Gerard Dyson. Oh, wow. Covering the team. He, okay. He was one of the most enjoyable just players to cover in the locker room. Always had something to say. Always had something to say if you walked by. Uh, nobody talks more than Gerard Dyson in Major League Baseball. It was great. So I, he's not starting for the White Sox. Media friendly Gerard Dyson. He just He's always stirring things up. Media, uh, teammates, he's just always a good energy guy in the locker room or the clubhouse. So I'm going to say Gerard Dyson, number five. I do like Bob Melvin, though. He's not on my list, but I like Bob Melvin a lot. Okay, my number four. I used to kind of not like this guy, but now I really like him. Trevor Bauer, who is now with the Cincinnati Reds, their ace. He's having a fantastic. He's probably going to win the NL Cy Young Award. Yeah, uh, he's having a great year. The dude just. I mean, I used to not like him because of what happened and how he left town. He left with a, you know, pretty sour taste and <laughs> on not on good terms, but. Now as I've I was younger back then so I've I've <laughs> I've I've come a long way with Trevor Bauer. I just like how he says what's on his mind. It might all kind of be ridiculous, but he's not afraid to call out anybody who needs to be called out like MLB and the Astros <laughs> and, and everybody else. So I I'm rooting for Trevor Bauer and the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, I have another red on my list as well, I, I who you probably would. have. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my number four is Trevor Bauer. Surprisingly, uh, I'm going to say my number four is Craig Council. He's not going to be in the playoffs for long. I love Brewers. Craig Council, but I mean a oh part gosh. a part of the 2001 World Series team, and just yeah, just a very likable guy. The uh, weirdest batting stance. Least top five weirdest batting yeah, stances ever. That's true. It's I don't know how there. he hit the ball. I, I don't, don't understand either. it. He also looked like he was fifteen when he retired. Yeah, yes, uh, he still looks he, like he's. He looks like 20. he's like nineteen. Yeah, nineteen twenty. Um. So yeah, I'll go Craig Council number four. But I fully, I I will just fully concede that the Brewers are not Hopefully going that very far. Bullpen holds up for three games. Yeah. Um. My number three, 
Zach Granke. I never, I never hated Zach Granke. There's oh, a lot wow. of people. I did not expect to hear Granke on your. There's list. a lot of people who did, just because you know he didn't really live up to that contract he got with with the Diamondbacks, and I understand that. But I've always, I always liked him as a pitcher. He's kind of a weird dude. He's another guy that just says what's on his mind um, when he does talk. He doesn't talk very often. Uh, he's the opposite of Gerard Dyson. I also love how he's totally embracing this social distancing thing, watching the game by himself in the stands with his mask on. I just find it hilarious. Oh, I forget who they were playing, but he was telling his catcher what he was basically verbalizing the signs yeah, and basically telling the other team what he's going to throw. He doesn't even care. He doesn't care. Uh, yeah. Hey, I will say this. Granky's not on my list and nothing against him. He does deserve to win a World Series at some point. He's done pretty much everything else. Yeah. Not not throwing no hitter, though, because that would have been a hassle. According oh, to yeah. Um, can't deal with anything like that. No, you can't. He'll put you out. Okay, so that was your number three? Yeah, number three. My number three, and I'm sure he's on your list, is Archie Bradley in Cincinnati. Um, you know, Archie, there were stretches in there where it was like, okay, this guy talks a lot, but he's not really getting guys out. But ultimately, and I think you saw it once once they traded him, you need a guy like that. You, and you, I mean, ideally, he's getting people out too, but you need a guy that just is that emotionally invested in specifically beating the Dodgers or defending Chase Field and stuff like that. It just I don't know if they had that after they dealt him, and hopefully they have it by next season with somebody else. Archie Bradley is my number two, uh, just to piggyback off you. I mean, yes, his his 2017 season was unlike any other that I've seen from a relief pitcher in any case. And I was in the crowd as a fan during the wild card game when he hit that triple. And I've never heard a more elect- electric, I can't say electric, <laughs> electric atmosphere yeah, that in was great. a sporting event, and I—I I, I mean, and then he went out and gave up runs after that. Yeah, but, <laughs> but none of us remember that. But part. like, just having him be up there, a, a relief pitcher, and then hit that triple was amazing. And then also Archie—he's just a really good person. Um, we've had him out at spring training. I've met him in person. He's a really good guy. He's really good in the community here. When he was here, I mean, and I think so many people in Arizona still have love for Archie Bradley and they will forever unless he's eliminating the Diamondbacks in the playoffs one year. You imagine if he ever ended up on the Dodgers that would just be terrible. Oh. I don't think he would go there. Well, yeah. I don't think he would take the AJ Pollock jerk route and just bash the <laughs> no, fan base. He was he was pretty unhappy yeah, with AJ Pollock. Yeah, so yeah. Archie Bradley my number 2. Don't never go to LA, Archie. Never uh, go. I, I, if you do, if you have to go to the Angels. That yeah, that's fine. Um yeah, I would just piggyback a little bit more on that, too. I was also at that wild card game, but up in the press box. But, I mean, that's the last... I guess they had one playoff game against the Dodgers after that. That series was so miserable. But, I mean, the Cardinals haven't Believe been... Believe it or not, they had three playoff games against the Dodgers. Well, yeah, but not, <laughs> not at home, though. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah, the Coyotes yeah. made the playoffs but this year, but they weren't home You're games. Right. The Suns right. haven't been to the playoffs. Cardinals... Like, that was our last fun home playoff game for any of the, the four oh major teams. Oh, my gosh, You're right. Um, that sucks, <laughs> oh man. My number two is Trevor Bauer, who was on your list. Uh, just just to refresh That's everybody, I up there though. Yeah, I've I've always i I didn't like that trade when it happened. They got Lars Anderson, Tony Sip, and Didi Gregorius, who that that guy's just had a who rough turned go into Robbie Ray, I believe he did ultimately. Yes. Um, 
But yeah, Trevor Bauer, because I just I remember that I just first started covering the team, and they were talking about how amazing he was going to be, and then they traded him. So yeah, and you're right. There's nothing wrong with showing some personality on social media or. Uh, you know, in interviews or whatever, and just I'm always going to applaud the guy or girl that that thinks for themselves and is unique, and he is. He's very unique, that's for sure. Just don't don't mess around with any drones this playoff, okay? Yeah. <laughs> this postseason, Trevor, please. My number one, and it's no surprise, is Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, we both have the same number. Paul Goldschmidt, pretty much enough said, one of the best players the Diamondbacks have ever had, really good guy. Always Mr. Consistent and a good leader in the clubhouse. We didn't really see it out, you know, in public, but I'm sure he was a good leader in the clubhouse. Paul Goldschmidt, one of my favorite players to ever play in Arizona. There's an alternate universe, or maybe it's this universe, where in the second round, the Cardinals eliminate the Dodgers on a key Paul Goldschmidt hit. Please. And that's that's the best case scenario in these playoffs for you if you're a Diamondbacks fan, right? That's that's the oh, scenario yeah. right there. Oh, yeah. Or Archie Bradley closes out a series. Yeah. I guess that would be the NLCS at that point. Whatever. He could hit another triple. A former Diamond. <laughs> oh, with the DH, he'll never hit. Well. That sucks. Unless they use him as the DH, which they won't. Um, but, yeah. A, a former Diamondback eliminating the Dodgers, but especially at the top of that list, it would have to be... Uh, Paul Goldschmidt. Other names that we didn't get to. AJ Pollock. I knew you weren't going to put on your list. Uh, yeah, forget that guy. Robbie Ray. Jake Lamb. I can't put on my list because he already has more hits with Jake, the A's. I than like he Jake Lamb as a person, but yeah. I can't root for him. Dansby Swanson. Not his fault they traded him, but I couldn't. That's I couldn't. D-backs legend Dansby Swanson to you, sir. Put him on the list. Ender and Ciarte. Andrew Chafin. I thought you were going to have Chafin somewhere. Ugh, on the list. Uh, Ildemar Vargas. Who is he with now? The Cubs. Cubs. Yeah, all the former Diamondbacks are on the Cubs. Uh, there's a lot, so just keep your eyes open during the playoffs. All right, it's going to do it for us here tonight. Thanks to Cody Fincher behind the glass. Thanks to you for listening. I'm Luke Lipinski. It's been the rundown on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station.